welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we, uh, we hear your call there, that if we hear your voice, that we ought not to harden our hearts as in the rebellion. And Lord, we just thank you for giving us an example of what that looks like in the people of Israel as they failed to enter the promised land. And we just pray, Lord, that we would heed that warning, um, that we would listen to your word, Lord, as you speak. We know that as your word is preached, it is your very words, that it is you speaking through your word. And we ask, Lord, that in each person, your spirit would so either make a heart alive or enliven a heart to hear you this morning. That we would hear loud and clear, and that we would respond to your call. And Lord, we just pray that we wouldn't continue to harden our hearts, wall ourselves off from you, but that we would open ourselves up to you fully. And Lord, we're so thankful for the word here, our original confidence. Lord, give us our original confidence. For those of it here that are believers who walked with you for quite some time, but have just grown weary and, and beat down and, and um, worn out. Lord, we pray that you would uh, give fresh life, give fresh faith, restore their original confidence, we pray. And for those that are here that are coming in in strength, we just pray, Lord, that they would uh, heed the call here to exhort one another as long as it is today. We pray, Lord, that we would be a true spiritual family, a true covenant community that cares for one another, that cares for one another's hearts in such a way that we will all make it to that final day, safe into the promised land and by your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the second warning in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is really famous for warnings. Remember that uh, this book was written, the original readers were Jewish Christians who were tempted to return to Judaism because of persecution. Actually, in their social context there in the Roman Empire, for them to return to Judaism would have spared them a lot of persecution. And so there's this temptation, now that the heat has come up for following Christ, 
to just return. And the writer of Hebrews uses both wonder and warnings to draw them back to Christ. He uses wonder in showing them the greatness of Jesus, how amazing Jesus is. And he gives them warnings to show them how great their danger would be without him. And that's what we need this morning. We need both the wonder and the warnings. And this warning centers around verse 12. Take a look at it. This is kind of the epicenter of this warning. It says this, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It's a warning about falling away. It's a warning about leaving Christ. And this warning is needed, guys, because perseverance in faith is essential. It's actually essential that we would continue to believe. Look at verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Notice that's a conditional statement, that if. Uh, our perseverance in faith, our, the fact that we keep believing until the end of our lives, shows that we're truly his, shows that we're truly saved, shows that we're truly born again. Remember, the gospel promise, guys, is that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you get united to Christ, right? That you trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit unites you to Christ. He unites you to Christ such that all of Christ's righteousness is yours, as if you were inside of him, as if he was covering you with his righteousness. And not only that, but your union with Christ means that the Holy Spirit causes Christ's life to flow through your life. So the changed lives you see in yourself or in friends that are Christians, that's not their life changed, that's Christ's life flowing through them. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives us both Christ's righteousness, we don't earn it, totally Christ, and he also gives us Christ's life. And what this passage is saying is that the way we know we have been truly united with Christ is by persevering in faith to the end. In other words, if somebody doesn't persevere in faith all the way to the end, it shows that they were never truly united with him. Because we're united with Christ, we get his righteousness, and we get his life, and God himself keeps us believing. So this warning against falling away is essential because perseverance is essential. And also, this warning is really important because a lot of people have fallen away. We can see that from this text. He gives this example of the Exodus generation in verses 7 through 11. He says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. On the day they tested me in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I spoke in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What he's talking about here is a particular incident where the Israelites had come to the promised land and refused to enter. Remember, this is in Numbers 14. And God had rescued them from Egypt. They brought them out. He had brought them out through 10 plagues and Passover lamb and the parting of the Red Sea. And he led them through the wilderness. And they, they got his law at Mount Sinai. And then they're about to enter the promised land, right? And they come right to the edge of the promised land. This is you know, not very long after they had left Egypt. They're right at that edge. They send in some spies to check it out, and it's beautiful. I mean, the land is exactly what God had promised. It's, it's a massive fruit there. It's a fruitful, beautiful land. Everything's just as he said, but there's a problem, right? What was the problem? People lived there, yes. There were, there were giants in the land. There were, there were people that lived there, and they looked super scary. And so they thought, well, we can't do this. And it's beautiful, but we can't go in. And they rebelled against God, and they refused to enter. They even started thing, saying things like that they wish they died on the way. I mean, super ungrateful type things. Oh, that you would, you know, that we were back in Egypt. Oh, that we had died in the wilderness and all those kinds of things. And so what God does is he tells them they're not going to enter. They're going to wander for 40 years. 
because, you know, the trip to Israel is not that far from Egypt, you know. So they're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until that faithless generation dies. Their kids will inherit the land, but they won't. And guys, this is a really fitting illustration for the danger of falling away from Jesus because these guys had an amazing start, right? Think about all they saw. They had an amazing start. They had all kinds of amazing spiritual privileges along the way, and yet they failed to enter the land. And it says in the passage that they they rebelled because their hearts were hardened. And then verse 19 says the ultimate reason they couldn't enter the promised land was their unbelief, that they didn't believe. And we've seen this in our own day, haven't we? I mean, we've seen people, even in our own lives, maybe in our own families or friends, they have this great start following Christ. They had all the benefits of the church community, and then they just fell away. And it's some of the saddest things we see as a church is people just drifting and falling away. Jesus taught about this, right, in the parable of the sower. You know, they would sprout up with life and then be choked out or have no root, and the sun would bake them and they'd just blow away. So we need this warning because perseverance is essential, and many have actually fallen away, okay? Now, I want to make clear that I'm convinced that Scripture teaches that no true Christian will ever fall away permanently. Christians can have very long drifts away from the Lord, long drifts that make us wonder if they'll ever come back, but Scripture does teach that no true Christian will ever fall away permanently. God perseveres his people, amen? God keeps us believing. John 10 says this, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. That's our security as Christians, right, is that we're in the hand of Christ. No one can snatch us out of his hand. Philippians, Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Why will true Christians make it to the end? Because it's a work God began, and God's not going to drop his project. He's not going to drop you. He's not going to leave you. He's going to complete that good work. All true Christians will persevere in faith to the end. The theological term for this is uh, perseverance of the saints, and uh, there's a little bit of confusion on this doctrine. It's different than what some people teach as eternal security. Some people teach that if, you know, somebody comes to Christ in some sort of event or whatever, they pray a prayer, but they later leave Christ and never come back, that they're saved. And they say, well, that's eternal security. That's not the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. The doctrine of perseverance of the saints is that everyone who's truly born again, God will keep them believing all the way to the end. They may go through all sorts of dark times, all sorts of, you think about David, or you think about Peter, or you think about even some of your own lives, where you had maybe months or years that you walked away from the Lord, but God will persevere that person, will bring them back to himself. You will see that faith in them again. Do you guys see the difference? You know, there's, there's one where it's just like, you know, he said he believed, and then he lived like the devil, and he went to heaven. Okay, that's not perseverance of the saints, right? Perseverance of the saints is that God will rescue his people. He will give them faith to believe. He will keep them firm until the end. He causes us. That perseverance that he requires, he provides. And yet, guys, there's a warning here. Interesting, isn't it? Do you find that interesting? That with what I just said and what the Bible clearly teaches, that all true Christians will persevere to the end, yet there's this warning. And you say, well, maybe the warning's not for me. The warning is for you. The warning is for you. Notice verse 12. It says, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Or in verse 13, exhorting one another, as long as it's called today, that none of you will be hardened, right? Uh, The idea is that this warning is actually for every single person in the church. 
God doesn't give warnings we don't need, right? God doesn't warn us about things that aren't a danger, right? God only speaks truth. So it must be, guys, and I don't know the mystery of all this, but it must be that God uses this warning as a means of grace for God's people to heed and obey, and it's one of the means of grace he uses to persevere us, okay? So the Lord warns us, then the Lord makes us all ears to this warning, and he gives us the grace to heed it, right? And so how do we heed this warning this morning? We do it together. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is interesting, guys. This is not a call to individualistic, morbid introspection. You know who you are. (laughs) One of you laughed very loud. Okay? This is not a call to a morbid, individualistic introspection. This is a call for all of us to care for one another's hearts in such a way that we persevere. This is a call for us to be a true family, a covenant community where we care for one another's hearts. And this is very contrary, guys, to the way that we think, the way that our culture has taught us. We have been discipled with a very heavy dose of individualism. Anybody been discipled? Everybody been injected with a very heavy dose of individual? We all have. We all think like, oh, that's cool. Maybe some people need that, you know? And he's saying like, no, everyone here, every Christian here needs the whole body to help them persevere. And one thing you should know, and I think probably you're thinking, there is no exception in Scripture except for introverts. Introverts have a special grace that God gives where they, they don't need the ministry of the body. Were you thinking that? You're laughing because you were thinking that, right? You were thinking like, well, surely if my personality is different, then I will persevere on my own. That is not the case here. We need one another, guys. You know, when it comes to matters of our own heart, we are not fit to be our own physicians. There's a famous saying that all doctors learn and veterinarians learn it too, which is this. He who treats himself has a fool for a patient. Let that sink in. He who treats himself has a fool for a patient. What does that mean? Yeah. Why might a person, if they were going to be their own doctor, be a fool for doing that? No objectivity. You can't see outside of yourself. You don't have the objectivity for that, right? You know, it's true, right? Let that sink in. The Proverbs call us to keep our own hearts with all vigilance, but this passage tells us we're going to need a second opinion. We're going to need one another for a second opinion. We can't be our own physicians. But what's cool is God has designed the church to be a whole community of spiritual cardiologists. Okay? The church is a whole community of spiritual cardiologists. We we are being discipled. We are being trained by God to care for one another's hearts, to keep one another from falling away. Perseverance is something we do together. We're called to exhort one another. It, it means to encourage. It means to discern what's going on in the hearts of one another and encourage one another. This is a work the Spirit does through you. Okay, This isn't just, I'm clearly doing it right now, but it, God calls each one of us to do this, to do this work of exhortation. I, I love what Isaiah 50 says about this. Listen to this. Listen to how beautiful this calling is for you to do with these people here. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Mm, That's our amen. That I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. You want to be able to do that? You can do that. You do that with God's word, right? 
God's word has everything the human heart needs. What we need to do is have the spirit cause us to care enough for the people around us and to hear what's going on in their hearts and apply the word so that we would sustain with a word him who is weary. That's your calling this morning. When you came in here, you know, you came in hurried and, you know, you got a donut, you did all that, and you came in for worship. One of your callings while you're here is to find somebody to sustain with a word because they're weary. Do you think there could be anybody weary here? Right? Yeah. A lot of times people don't really see each other and they think, oh, all those people, they got it together. They're all put together. Their lives are all so great. You know, I'm hurting. You haven't looked. They're weary. Like you have no idea probably what it took the person next to you to come here, (laughs) to get the courage to even show up, to drag their, you know, spiritual carcass here and plop it down here, just hoping, right, that God would bring them to life again. And so God calls you to strengthen his people through your words, with your mouth. Isn't that amazing how powerful that is? You're like, that won't do anything. It does. And you guys have all experienced it, right? You've had somebody sustain you with the word when you were weary. And so this passage, guys, not only gives us our calling, but it also gives us some insight in how to do it. It gives us kind of a crash course in spiritual cardiology. Okay? And the first thing it teaches us is that sin attacks the heart. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. When we sin, when we see sin in our own lives, where should we look? Where should we look for where that sin is coming from? Should we look in our circumstances? Should we look in the sins of others? That's usually where we want to look. But this passage tells us to look in our hearts. Our circumstances and the sins of others definitely create temptation to sin, but they do not create sin in us. And parents, you know this. When your kid says something like, oh, you know, why'd you hit your brother? He made me mad. He made me hit him. It's like, well, he didn't make you hit him. And actually, he didn't make you mad either. He tempted you to anger. And then your angry heart responded, right? We know this when we parent our kids. But when it comes to us, we're like, no, he definitely made me hit him. You know, (laughs) like, that's not the way you would parent. So, you know, trust your parenting instincts on yourself. We shouldn't just look to our trials. We should look to what those trials are bringing up in our hearts. The trials are easy to see, right? When we see bad fruit of sin, we need to look for the root. The root is always actually in the heart, okay? We need to ask, what do my actions and my words tell me about what my heart really wants, okay? What it really wants, what it wants more than the Lord. What did my heart want more than the Lord that is tempting me, is, is, is drawing me into this sin? Did my heart want control? Did my heart want safety? Did my heart want pleasure? Did my heart want comfort more than God? Did my heart want power? Did my heart want autonomy? People just leave me alone. Did my heart want approval? Did my heart want respect? What did my heart want more than the Lord? That's the root, guys. The root's down deep there. And what did the Israelites want? You know, they refused to enter the promised land. They come to the edge of it. What did they want? What were the Israelites looking for when they rebelled? You can guess. Comfort to, like, not be slaughtered, maybe, right? Yeah, they want a relief from slavery. They're coming into the land. I think you're right. They wanted comfort, right? They wanted safety, right? They wanted security. They thought they could save themselves, right? They didn't look for it in God. They looked for it in themselves. They thought, you know what they trusted in for their comfort and their safety and their security? They trusted in their own rebellion. I got an idea. 
let's rebel against the holy God who's been leading us. That will save us. What, they, what are they doing there? They're trusting in themselves. They're trusting in their own rebellion. They're trusting their own sin to save them. They didn't believe that God was gracious. They didn't believe that God would be there for them. They didn't believe that he would fight for them. They refused to obey God in that moment because they didn't trust him, right? And that's the root of every sin. It says in verse 12, an evil, unbelieving heart. We just don't trust him. And here's the Lord's diagnosis in Numbers 14. He says this about their rebellion when they wouldn't go into the land. How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs I've done among them? You know, that's the diagnosis. They didn't believe. They didn't trust him. And so they didn't obey him. It's the same with us, guys. The root of our disobedience is a lack of trust, right? When it comes right down to it, we're looking for something um, other than God, to, to, to meet our needs. And this is where the body helps, guys. This is where the body helps. This is where the body helps when we're doing what we should be doing is because we'll ask the right questions. We're going to ask heart questions. Not hard, but they'll be hard. Heart questions, right? We'll ask those kind of questions. We'll hear the circumstance. We'll hear the, and we'll feel the pain of that circumstance. We're not going to move right to like, you know, hey, this terrible thing happened to me, but what about your heart? It's like, no, 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 it's lower. Okay, it's lower. Feel their circumstance, feel what's going on, but then start to ask them some questions about their own hearts. Good friends will help you to look deeper than your circumstances. They'll direct you to your heart, which actually is a way to move forward, right? Because even if your circumstances can't change, God can change your heart. The heart, the very thing that's causing you the most pain, can be changed. God will change it. So sin attacks the heart. Sin attacks the heart with lies. Look at verse 14. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you will be hardened what? by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin lies. Sin never just comes right out and says, hey, want to do this and ruin your life? You know, never, right? The hook is always baited. It's not like, here's the, here's the thing that's going to destroy you. Want it? It's like, no, it's always baited. Guys, sin lies. Sin lies about itself. Sin lies so that we'll believe that sin can save us, like those Israelites did, that, that it'll give us joy. Doesn't it always promise to make us happy? It does, right? It lies to us and, and tells us that it will rescue us. It lies to us to tell us there'll be no consequences or they won't be that bad. Sin lies about God is where sin really is destructive. So that we'll doubt his goodness, right? So that we'll doubt his power. Sin lies to us so we'll doubt his love. We'll doubt he's present. We'll doubt his holiness. We'll doubt his wisdom. You guys been lied to? You guys feeling it? Okay, we've been lied to, right? He's working on us. The enemy's working on us. Sin is working on us, lying to us. Sin lies to us in, in, so that we'll doubt that we're loved by God, right? So that we'll doubt that we're forgiven by God. So that we'll doubt that we're his kids. And you ask somebody that's really in the, in the heat of the battle with, with dealing with sin and temptation and suffering, and you ask him, like, what do you think God thinks of you right now? And then listen. And what are you going to hear? I can hear a bunch of lies. Not their lies. It's sin's lies. And they're probably lies you've heard before, too. It's, there seems to be a standard set of lies. <laughs> you know, it's a standard set. We, we, sin will lie to us so that we doubt our future, so that we doubt that we're freed from sin, so that we doubt that we're filled with the Spirit. Right? Sin lies to us. There's another place where the ministry of the body really helps. They can help us to identify the lies that we're believing. You know, you can hear it on them. You know, and we need to listen for it. We need to listen for those lies. We need to hear them. And, and you can very gently go, yeah, but that's not true, right? It could be something as simple as that. You don't have to go, lies, 
You know, like, you don't have to do that. That was just to wake you up. But you can say, like, but that's not really true, right? Or where did you get that idea from? Like, I just wonder about who's speaking into you right now, right? When we're sitting alone, guys, and sin and the enemy are able to just speak lies in our hearts, we're sitting ducks. We need other believers to speak truth to us. Okay, I'm going to do a little quiz here, and it's probably not going to go well. So it's okay. How many of you guys remember in Lord of the Rings when Gandalf confronts Theoden, the king? How many of you guys know this? Okay, that's better than I thought. Because I was thinking this morning, I'm like, man, you need to learn something about sports. You know, like, you could watch some videos or something and just, like, Eric, you can do this. You could learn the rules of some sport. You could watch something. This is all I got, okay? This is all I got. So some of you guys remember. I'll just paint the scene for you. So in Lord of the Rings, Gandalf, he's a wizard. He's a good guy. He comes, he confronts King Theoden. King Theoden is like sitting on his throne. He looks horrible. He looks like frozen or like half dead or something, and his eyes are all glazed over. And he's got this assistant that speaks into his ear. What's his name? Yeah, that's not good, okay? Like if you're hiring a personal assistant, worm tongue, not good, okay? You should just be like, hey, it's nothing against you. Your parents are weird. But worm tongue is speaking lies into his ear, and it's like causing him to like, harden and die, kind of, right? And I love what Gandalf says to him. He comes up to him and he says, and he frees him. It's this beautiful scene where, you know, he gets freed from it, kind of like an exorcism kind of a thing. He gets freed from it and his, his skin returns to normal and he like comes back to life right in the moment. But Gandalf comes up to him and worm tongues, you know, speaking into his, and, uh, and so uh, Theoden's actually like arguing with Gandalf a little bit and Gandalf said this, too long have you sat in shadows and trusted to twisted tales and crooked promptings. Anyone? Anyone? Too long you have sat in shadows and trusted to twisted tales and crooked promptings. Man, is that a description of sin lying to us, isn't it? And the hardening that occurs. It's a beautiful picture because the enemy, he wants to get you alone and he wants to just talk to you and speak to you and speak lies into your heart. We need somebody like a Gandalf, or it could be somebody not in a robe with a beard, and to come and to speak, to identify those lies and to speak to us. I actually received this kind of ministry just on Friday. So we had a men's gathering. It was awesome over at Ian's. There were like 40 guys there. It was incredible. And uh, yeah, and at the last minute, as we all do, I'm like, I'm not going. You know, like, okay, that's always the Lord, right? Don't want to go to this. <laughs> Might be some fellowship or something, you know? So I'm like, I'm not going to go. Like work, there were a bunch of work complications and difficulties, and I was really behind on this message. So I'm like, I'll just stay home and prep. That makes more sense, really. I got an important role to do here. But I'm so glad I went because I'll tell you, multiple times through that night, like subtly, the Lord used those men to show me lies I was believing and to show me the truth. And none of them probably even know what was happening. But I'm talking to them, and I'm saying something, and then they say something back, and I'm like, oh, that is the truth. Oh, that is what the Lord's about. Oh, that is what he's doing. Oh, that is what the church means. Do you know what I mean? It was like over and over again, the Lord was speaking truth through them in very subtle ways. And by the way, guys, on this lie thing, you're probably believing the same lies over and over again about yourself, about God, about sin. It would be really helpful when you're sane to write them down. So you write them down. These are the lies I tend to believe every single day and fall for it every single day. And then put some scripture next to them. Little note to self, you're thinking this. This is the truth. This is a note from yourself, right? This would really help. I know it sounds like I'm a crazy person, but that's helpful, okay? 
really helpful because the next day when sin comes to the door knocking, you'll be like, man, I feel like I've heard this somewhere before. You know, and then you're like, oh, I have a note to myself about this. Oh, look, you know, here's me writing a note to myself about what's really true. So sin uh, attacks the heart. It lies to us and it hardens us. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this is a beautiful image. This is really great. How sin hardens us, right? How it gradually makes us less sensitive to God's presence and his promises and his purposes, you just slowly harden. Have you guys felt this before? You felt this before. It's slow. It's, it, it can be imperceptible. But at some point you realize, it's like the way leprosy works, right? So the nerves stop working, and then you start banging your skin on things and not knowing it, and then the skin gets infected and sloughs off. That's what it's like a hardened heart, is you don't feel anymore. You become callous. The writer of Hebrews, remember, described it as drifting in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. Like a ship that's lost its anchor in the night, and you wake up in the morning, and you're like, how did I get here? The relationship with the Lord, it drifts, right? Jesus called it cooling in Matthew 24. He says, because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. The book of Daniel calls it being worn out. <laughs> this might really speak to you. In Daniel 7, it says that the enemy shall speak words against the Most High and wear out the saints of the Most High. So it's cooling, it's drifting, it's hardening. This hardening, guys, is really ultimately a hardening towards the Lord. Because you might feel your hardening. You might think, I'm just hardening against my spouse. I'm hardening against you know, other people here. I'm hardening against my kid. I'm hardening against my parents. You know, that, that, that I'm walling myself off from them. That's what hardening is, right? It's to build a wall to, like, separate yourself. But ultimately, guys, a hardened heart is a hardened heart against the Lord, right? And he says, beware lest you have a hardened heart. You know, how's your heart this morning? You might be like, my heart is great, actually. That's good, okay? We don't need to be the place where everybody has to be in a dire situation or they're lying, you know? Some of you guys came in, you're great. Things are good. What, what's the word for you? Verse 13, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. You know, look out for those hearts. But if you're feeling hardened, you're drifting, you're cooled, you're worn out, you should treat that with urgency. He says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't let this continue. And you say, well, what do I do? You know, like, what do I do? I mean, I, I know my heart's hardened. I only have a very weak desire for the Lord. You know, but how do you, how do you soften a hardened heart? You know, how do you... How do you draw back a drifting heart? How do you warm up a cold heart? How do you revive a worn out heart? And verse 14 says something really beautiful that really captivated me ever since I saw it. He says that we need our original confidence. Somehow we need to regain our original confidence. Confidence is such a great word for faith here, right? Because what is faith? It's confidence in Christ, right? This is another thing we need to do as we exhort one another. It's not just to try and see what's going on and apply scripture, but let's, guys, let's, let's, let's promise that we will remind each other what to have confidence in. You know, when you hear a lack of confidence, who we should we put our We should put our confidence in Christ. We need to remind each other what we should really trust in. Because sin is really a shifting of our confidence. It's a shifting of our confidence from the Lord to ourselves. Suddenly, we're going to put the confidence in ourselves and in what we can do. That's what happened in Numbers 14. The Israelites rebelled against God because the confidence has shifted from the Lord to themselves. They had to fix it. And guys, these guys, let's think back to those guys. They had every reason to have confidence in the Lord that day. 
right? They had every reason to like see the giants, see these armies, and just go, well, we're, he said go in. He said he promised he'd take care of us. Let's just go in. Because, guys, these guys had seen, these guys had seen like weeks before, 10 plagues on Egypt, okay? And you're like, the first one, you're like, this is weird weather. You know, the second one, you're like, whoa, what are the odds? By the 10th one, you're like, God's doing a thing here. Like, there's no doubt. This would be the worst, you know, coming together of bad luck ever, right? They had seen the blood of the lamb save them from the angel of death. And God told them, put blood on your house, which is weird to do. And they were spared from the angel of death, unlike their Egyptian neighbors. They had seen God free them from Egypt. They had seen God part a sea, okay, so they could walk through on dry land. They had seen a pillar of fire leading them at night and a pillar of smoke during the day. They had seen bread come from heaven, okay? These weeks of this, right? They had every reason to put their confidence in the Lord, right? And walk right into that battle without fear. And I just want to tell you this morning, and you know this, you have way more reason for confidence in the Lord than they did. You have way more reason for confidence in the Lord than they did. It's one thing for God to send Moses down to save his people. It's another thing for him to come down himself. It's one thing for, you know, him to send a Passover lamb to save you from your sins. It's another thing for him to be the Passover lamb and save you from your sins. That it would be his own blood. It's one thing that he would free them from slavery to Pharaoh. It's a whole other thing to be freed from the tyranny of Satan. Right? It's one thing to, you know, be baptized into the sea. It's a whole other thing that you've been baptized into Christ. It's one thing to have manna, uh, you know, given from heaven. It's a whole other thing to be fed Christ every week in the Lord's Supper. He feeds you Christ. It's one thing to be filled with water from a rock that was struck. It's a whole other thing that Jesus was struck and now fills us with the Holy Spirit. Guys, and he still speaks. He's still speaking through his word to you every day. He's still calling out to you. Guys, we have far more reason to have confidence in the Lord than they did. We've seen the better Passover lamb. We've, we've been given a better exodus. We're being led to a better promised land. And I just want to plead with you this morning. If you're there and your heart's just hardened and it's cold and it's, you just feel like, I know I'm stuck. I can't do anything. I would just say, doesn't that soften it a little bit? You know, to hear the deeds of Christ, to see that he was crucified for you to do those things, like that has got to warm your heart. Enough to where it goes from this like little frozen raisin to like it just starts to move a little bit, just starts to beat a little bit, right? And, and it has to warm your heart and it has to revive your warmed out heart. And it has to, doesn't it draw you back? Don't you go like, yeah, you know what? That is better than what I have. And I would just say with that little bit of grace that he's given you just now, reach out to him. <laughs> reach out to him and take your original confidence back. It's not too late. He says in this passage, as long as it is today, it's not too late. It's too late for them. They were like, you guys are doing laps until you die, right? It was too late for them. It's not too late for you. As the way is still open for you today. You know, he says in Hebrews 4.1, he says this, beautiful words, the promise of entering his rest still stands. Isn't that awesome? It would have been great for them to hear, but for you, it's true. The promise to enter his rest still stands. So you guys, you haven't gone too far. That's one thing the devil's going to tell you. That's one of the lies. You've gone too far. You can't come back. He says, today, today you can return. And today, and you go like, I don't know. I don't know how I'll get from this place that I'm in to the place where I know I should be. He'll take care of that. 
God dwells in you. He will take care of that. Your simple act is to return to him, to switch your confidence from yourself back to him. It's praying something like, Lord, I want to turn back to you right now. I want to put my confidence in Christ alone for my righteousness. I want to trust in his righteousness alone that it's enough. I'm going to put my confidence in you for my security. I'm going to trust that whatever comes in the future, whatever suffering you bring is going to be for my everlasting good. I'm going to put my confidence in you as my happiness. I'm going to now trust and believe and experience that you are better than anything the world offers. That's what it looks like to return. We can walk confidently. And so we can walk confidently through the wilderness. We got a ways to go, you know? I'm not talking about the book of Hebrews. <laughs> we got a ways to go. I don't know how long. It's a wilderness. It's dangerous. It's scary. There's all kinds of hazards, right? Walking through the wilderness together. And yet he's going he's gonna to bring it through us. And when our time comes, and we don't know when that is, we're going to boldly step right into the promised land and enjoy that rest forever. And we're not going to fear because he's our confidence. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of your speech, that you're a speaking God, that you speak to us, that you speak to us in your word, and that your spirit speaks to us with it, and that you've spoken to us now. And I thank you, Lord, that you can take any situation, any life, any hardness, any drifting, any coldness, any worn out heart, and make it new. And I thank you, Lord, for causing people even now, your people, to believe that and hold on to you. And we pray, Lord, that you will reward that simple act of faith, that simple act of confidence, and that you will very clearly step into their lives in a new way today, tomorrow, this week. And Lord, I just pray that you would so make yourself known, that you would drill through that hardness. Lord, when we drift, you haven't gone anywhere. We drift, we're the ones that drifted. When we're hardened, we're the ones that have walled ourselves off to you. We pray that you just break down those walls, that you come in, you show us your love, feed us. Thank you, Lord, for the Lord's Supper. We thank you for this opportunity to be fed by you. Thank you for the opportunity to worship. We thank you for the opportunity of fellowship. Lord, we just thank you for this moment, Lord, that you're offering yourself to us. We take you gratefully. You're such a good God. You're so over the top. You're so excessive in your love and in your care for us and your pursuit. Sometimes, Lord, I just we want to be left alone. And you're like, no, I'm not going to leave you alone. Here I am again. You do that, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.